Welcome into the Talking Tide podcast. Once again, I'm Chase Goodbrood of NFL.com and Crimson Cover Television. I'm joined by Travis Ryer of BamaOnline.com and Southern Fried Sports Radio. It's the Sunday nighter here on Talking Tide. We're going to break down Alabama's victory over Texas A&M. We'll look around the Southeastern Conference. Plenty to get to, Travis, as we uh, look at this Texas A&M game. Of course, you can follow us on Twitter, the feed is talking underscore tide you can catch all of our pod drops there and of course you can get us at itunes google play stitcher and tune in also our web host at podbean.com and with that travis uh, we begin to take a look back at this uh, rousing victory for alabama 52 24 your final score as alabama moves to 2-0 game Pretty much well in hand at 35-14 at the half. And uh, Alabama goes on to pretty much run away with it in what was a huge day for Mac Jones. No doubt about it. Career high in passing yards for Mac Jones. You know, you combine his first two first halves of the 2020 season. He's thrown for 500 yards in those two halves. 239, I guess it was, out at, uh, out at Missouri. In, in week one, and then he follows that up on Saturday with a robust 273 on 16 of 20 against the Texas A&M Aggies. And, you know, you start getting explosive plays like they did from your third receiver, uh, you start to think a little bit about the last couple of years. And uh, uh, that's a great sign for this passing game when you start getting John Mechie uh, doing what he did on Saturday afternoon. Yeah, no doubt about it. Some deep balls for Mac Jones. The long reception for Mechie, 78 yards, a touchdown. Jalen Waddell pulls one in from 87. Uh, the two of them combined for uh, a little bit more than three, about 323 yards on just 10 catches. So, uh, yeah, they got behind that A&M secondary. The A&M defensive plan pretty clearly was they were going to stack it up and, and, and challenge Mac Jones a little bit, which I found to be – Somewhat surprising. I don't think we'll be seeing that toward the end of the year, but it looked to me like A and M wanted to wanted to shut Najee Harris down first. It did, and then you know a couple different ways that I saw that. You're right. I still think you know for some of these defensive coordinators, some of these defenses around the league, Mac's going to have to prove it. Um, I think he's obviously done that in his first two starts of this season. I thought he did it for the most part in the four starts a year ago, but even with that tape. You know, there's still sort of that perception out there. Well, yeah, and he had Judy and Ruggs to go along with Waddle and Devontae Smith last year. Well, now Mechie emerges. And, you know, even on some of the the deep balls, I think there's some, some lingering effect from all those slants, too, and those intermediate routes from the Tua era with so much damage that Alabama was able to do after the catch on so many of those plays – you know, you're seeing him be able to manipulate safeties, you know, with pump fakes and shoulder fakes and get those safeties coming up. And then they're running the double move behind these guys. And, you know, what you're seeing is a, an accumulation of, of explosive plays on par, if not uh, perhaps even above what we saw through the first couple of games of last year. Travis, I'm pretty comfortable just two games in based on, well, not just two games in, because we saw enough last year uh, and, and and even 
you know, our first look at Mac Jones came the year before in 2018. I'm pretty comfortable calling him the best quarterback in the league right now. I mean, if you ask me to go win one football game with one quarterback in the SEC right now, I'm taking Mac Jones. Uh, K.J. Costello at Mississippi State, you can make an argument for, certainly the way he carved up LSU a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and, 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 you know, there's another good quarterback or two in the league, but who else are you really going to come with other than Mac Jones? It's not a doesn't look like a deep group of quarterbacks in this league. I think the choice right now would be Kyle Trask or Mac Jones, and you know they're pretty similar. Um, you know, I, I hear I watch the games on Saturday, and I'm watching the Florida South Carolina game, and you know I watch sort of the lead in to the Alabama Texas A&M game I think even Gary Danielson said this on the broadcast Saturday that you know he sort of can envision Mac Jones becoming Kyle Trask I think Mac Jones is Kyle Trask at least right now Gary yeah. you know it, it goes back to last year again there as we went into this season there was sort of this belief that you know Kyle Trask had just played so much more football than Mac Jones, when in reality that wasn't the case. You know, Mac Jones made four starts last year. He essentially played the entire Tennessee game in addition to that. So this isn't, you know, something that is out of left field with Mac Jones. And and I thought Kyle Trask did a nice job last year after he stepped in for Felipe Franks. And, you know, he's only gotten better. But when I when I hear something like that, I, I, what are we talking about here? Because... You know, I think they're they've been pretty much on par with each other, you know, since they they had opportunities a year ago. So that would be the two right now that I would sort of point to uh, if I'm talking about SEC quarterbacks. Um, you know, Matt Corral at Ole Miss. Speaking of Alabama's next opponent coming up, he's put up some big numbers. Did it again against Kentucky over the weekend. So um, that'll be an interesting storyline for the upcoming week. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, Mac Jones, 435 yards, four touchdowns in this game against Texas A&M. The big difference between Jones and Trask, I think more than anything else, when you look at it from 30,000 feet, Travis, is the help. Uh, Mac Jones has got a whopping offensive line in front of, front of him. He's well protected against A&M. Obviously, two big-time wide receivers and another one up and coming, as you noted, in Mechie, one of the best backs in the country, and Najee Harris. Kyle Trask doesn't have that kind of support around him. So from that standpoint, it's a little tough to, to make a clean comparison between those two. Yeah, it is. I, I like Kadarius Toney. He's a playmaker. He's similar to Jalen Waddle. although I think Jalen, what you're seeing from him is that he's showing you he can run a full route tree. You know, he's not just a jet sweep guy. He's not just a guy that you get it to in the quick passing game and let him sort of turn everything into a punt return. He can certainly do that. But what you saw once again Saturday is this is a guy who can run some devastating routes, especially where the vertical game is concerned, and uh, there's no doubt about it. You know, Kyle Pitts now at the tight end position for Florida. All due respect to Miller Forrestall and uh, Carl Tucker and, and, and the other tight ends. Mac don't have one of them laying yeah. around over off Bryant Drive, but – yeah, all things considered, I think you you like what Mac has to work with. And I like Florida's backs, too. Florida has a committee sort of approach to it, uh, and it's a good one. Yeah, Kyle Pitts, definitely a, a big-time tight end. He's got a bunch of touchdowns this year. Hurt South Carolina in the red zone 
this past week. So, uh, yeah, for sure, he, he's a guy who, who Trask is going to be able to, to lean on throughout the season. Uh, the Alabama defense, let's touch on that a little bit. Your thoughts, Travis, on that? I guess one place to start would be Daniel Wright's day. Uh, a little <laughs> up and down for him uh, with a, a, a real mistake with a, a attempted shove out of bounds that wasn't a shove hard enough. Ends up being a touchdown for Texas A&M. And, of course, he ends up picking off a pass and, and taking it the distance to kind of atone for that mistake. But uh, he was he drew the ire of uh, 20,000 strong at, at Alabama in Bryant-Denny Stadium for that first mistake. And then he, uh, he drew uh, cheers as loud as 20,000 can make him sound a little later. Yeah, Alabama brought the inside linebacker to the backside there uh, on the play that we're talking about to Anias Smith. And, you know, when Christian Harris blitzed, Smith hit that flat, and whatever adjustment that was supposed to happen didn't. And then things were compounded when Daniel Wright just never really seemed to gain leverage on the play from the deep middle of the field, which you would think wouldn't have been all that difficult because he had plenty of time and an angle to work with. But, you know, I give Smith a lot of credit, too. It's a guy that we talked about a little bit last week that could be a matchup problem for Alabama, along with uh, Jalen Weidermeyer, the tight end. And that's exactly the way it played out. And, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how this secondary, especially at the safety and money positions, continues to evolve. I think Jordan Battle played pretty good at the other safety spot on Saturday um, but Daniel Wright needs to sort of even some things out, steady some things out. And you still got DeMarco Ellums, second-year player in that mix. We saw Ellums not only at the money in the dime on Saturday, Chase, but he got some run with Jordan Battle at safety in the nickel package, too. He did. He did. And, and it was, uh, uh, you know, I thought Texas A&M's offense found a few soft spots and Alabama's run defense in the first half, and even down a couple of touchdowns, I felt like they would have been smart to to maintain that running game and, and try to shorten things up a little bit. Alabama's offense just ended up overwhelming things on the scoreboard to where, to where A&M, at a point, had to abandon the running game. Uh, but they did find some, some, room, some running room there. They also, Travis, I thought the Texas A&M passing game, Kellen Mond, Hurt Alabama most of the time throwing to the perimeter, hitting some guys on the outside where there's some uh, plenty of green grass out there, maybe a, a bust or two in the secondary. Uh, Nick Saban not happy with a couple of those. Yeah, you wanted Alabama defensively to tackle well first and foremost on the perimeter and in the quick game because if you did that and you sort of limited yards after the catch and – uh, you could put Mon more in a situation where he had to become more of a pure pocket guy, go through progressions, um, get protected. And Alabama never was really able to totally do that. I thought they were better in that regard in the second half. Uh, but that was the concern going into the game. Uh, because really, when you look at this wide receiver core, minus Jamon Osmond, uh, it's not a, a perfect world by any means. I think A&M has some young talent at those spots, but as far as that guy that can run that razor sharp 16 yard dig route, or then maybe double move off of it and hit you that way, you know, A&M didn't really have that, but I thought Jimbo did a good job. You know, you could tell, right? Jimbo worked with Nick for a while 
because it seemed like every time Alabama brought the heat or brought numbers in the pass rush, you know, Jimbo was sort of anticipating it. The the play to Smith that, you know, you saw the miss tackled on that went for the touchdown was one of those. So, you know, I give A&M some credit for that too. But uh, again, this is, this is an Alabama defense really at all three levels still in some ways trying to find itself. Continue to think that linebackers lead that defense and, and you see some, you see some signs in the secondary and in the defensive front of, of development for sure. Uh, but, but I, I, I can so after two weeks, I'm much more sold at the, on the linebacker play than anywhere else. Christian Barmore, uh, speaking of the defensive line, Travis makes his return. We didn't see a ton of him, but we did see him in spots, uh, generally playing on the inside in pass rush situations for Alabama. Yeah, I thought that was one of the interesting aspects of Barmore being back and sort of how Alabama went about its business in its Dime Rabbits pass rush package because typically you're going to see a couple of defensive linemen, even in the Dime Rabbits. Um, With Barmore in there at times, you saw Barmore on the nose and you saw four linebackers stay on the field in the pass rush. Christian Harris stayed out there along with Dylan Moses. And then you had Christopher Allen and also Will Anderson there as your edge guy. So that was a pretty interesting look with Barmore. But it sort of speaks to, as you're talking about, what the the strength of this front seven is right now in terms of when it's time to try to get off the field. You know, their, their best opportunities right now, at least, are going to come, uh, you know, with those kind of guys in those packages. And, and even with that, you know, Alabama still struggled at times to get you know, organic heat, as I like to call it. That's basically a four-man pass rush. And uh, got to the point where something I haven't seen a lot of in the Nick Saban era is safeties, two safeties coming up the A-gaps on sort of a dog blitz. Um, and we saw that from Alabama in the third quarter, and it was effective. It was it was a fourth down play, and, and Alabama was able to get off the field. Yeah, Alabama blanked in the sack column, which is something you really don't often see. I'd like I'd be curious to know the last time Alabama went sackless. Uh, but uh, you know, between Mon's escapability and the fact that they were hitting the perimeter and, and getting the ball out pretty quick, it would have been tough it would have been tough for any defensive line to to get to Mond, I thought, with that game plan that they had. Yeah, again, you just never really put him in a situation where he had to be more prototype passer you know they were able to stick with the the quick passing game did a good job against the run you know I mean when you look at that and you consider that you know A&M's leading rusher in the game was backup quarterback Haynes King who came in late in mop-up time he had 43 yards on five attempts but you know Anaya Smith did average 5.8 per carry but Isaiah Spiller 11 carries 25 yards uh, Mond, who had hurt you the last two years with his legs, 90 yards minimum in each of the last two games on the ground. He goes eight times for 19 yards. So oh, that was where it had to start with Mond as much as anything was not allowing him to hit you with the explosive run plays. And from that perspective, Alabama did a pretty good job. How about the inside linebacker play, Travis? Christian Harris, of course, at one spot. Dylan Moses at the mic. Uh, Harris ends up leading the team with 10 stops. Eight of those were solo. He continues to emerge, I think, as one of the truly fine players on this defense. Really like his game. He flashed last year. He's been more consistent this year. Dylan Moses, again, I thought, with another strong performance. Those two guys in the middle, 
they have a they have a way of of anchoring things and settling things, especially with the way Moses can communicate with that defensive front pre-snap. Yeah, I think just in terms of playing football right now, I, I think Christian Harris is Alabama's best defensive player. Um, you know, he had the 10 total tackles on Saturday, but I'm just talking about from a fundamental standpoint, if Alabama needs a tackle made, this is the guy that reminds me of, say, uh, D'Amico Ryans in the past. You know, when D'Amico Ryans got his hands on you or he got you in, in space or between the tackles, wherever it was, you were going on the, 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 the ground. You were tackled. And Christian Harris has just been magnificent from that standpoint. And, yeah, again, he's dynamic to the point where you're going to keep him out there, even in Dime Rabbits, because he can help you in the pass rush. He did have one of Alabama's eight quarterback hurries in the game. So, whereas it is very notable that Alabama didn't have a sack in the game, I guess the other side of that is, and Nick would be sure to tell us this, that, Alabama affected the quarterback in some other ways. The eight quarterback hurries, I think he probably likes. So, you know, I thought when you talked about just all around defensive performances on Saturday, Christian Harris, Malachi Moore at the star position, those were the those were the top two guys that I saw. My old boss at the Tuscaloosa News, Tommy Dees, did not appreciate that from Nick Saban that uh, affecting the quarterback was really what mattered. <laughs> and in the way that only Tommy D's could, he, he, he once, he once told Nick, uh, I've seen affected quarterbacks throw touchdown passes, but I've never seen a sacked quarterback. Throw. <laughs> well, you know what? Look at the pay scale for guys who sack quarterbacks and guys who yeah. hurry quarterbacks. <laughs> yeah. Extra zero or two on those sack quarterbacks. Uh, guys, you know, a little different for sure. Yeah, no doubt about it. <laughs> Talking Tide podcast at podbean.com, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. We're going to thank a couple of sponsors that keep us on the air really quickly, starting with North River Dental Associates and former Alabama football player Dr. Jack Smalley. And the job he does over there at North River Dental is just outstanding. Whatever your dental needs might be for you, for your family, he's where you need to go. If you're anywhere near Tuscaloosa, whether it's porcelain veneers, cosmetic dentistry, teeth whitening services, that's big these days for sure, dentures, dental implants, oral surgery, they can do it all over at North River Dental. You can make an appointment at NorthRiverDentist.com online or give them a call at 205-752-3506. Now on a routine cleaning, they are going to get you in and out of there typically in under an hour and they do a great, great job. It's a clean facility. They're great with dealing with the insurance people. And uh, they'll remind you about your appointment any way you might want to know, whether it's a text message or an email, uh, a phone call, however you might like to be reminded that that twice yearly cleaning is coming up. Uh, they'll get you taken care of over at North River Dental Associates. I'm going to tell you about Southern Ale House out there at 1530 McFarland Boulevard North. Chase Goodbread and myself on Friday of game weekend made a lunch trip to Southern Ale House. Always great stuff there. Goodbread likes that burger. He's been getting that burger a good bit when we go to Southern Ale House. I can't blame him. It's outstanding. That Yardbird chicken sandwich kicks a little butt too, by the way. Uh, I like the salads as well. I can tell you this. The 
Chop wedge is tremendous. You can get it with fried or grilled chicken on top. They've got these homemade biscuit croutons that they put on there. Oh, my goodness. They are out of this world. They're great. They do the thick cut chopped bacon. It's not that that old school, uh, you know, fake bacon bits that Drano Zella used to put on your salads, you know, and you get them stuck in your gum line and they'd be there for at least a couple more birthdays or so. No, no, no. It's the actual thick cut bacon they put on those great salads as well. Great, great stuff at Southern Ale House, 1530 McFarland Boulevard North. Also want to tell you about our good friends at Heat Pizza Bar, downtown Tuscaloosa at Government Plaza, where on Sundays, by the way, it's all day happy hour prices at Heat Pizza Bar. So in addition to those great, great pizzas, can check out that full bar. They've got the craft cocktails. They've got the craft beers. They got your favorite domestics, imports, you name it. Heat Pizza Bar, downtown Tuscaloosa at Government Plaza. Sounds like we might have to head over there for a Sunday night podcast. Yeah, I think I think we might have one of those in our on our on the horizon, perhaps at some point. Talking Tide podcast at Podbean.com, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Chase Goodbread and Travis Ryer with you and you're going to carry it on to look around the southeastern conference the week that was on saturday october 3rd a couple scores will hit on travis i guess auburn georgia the one to start with the bulldogs 27 to 6 the final score over au uh matchup of top 10 squads number four versus number seven auburn is not the seventh best team in the country they did not look good at all they did not they got bullied Really, they got pushed around. Uh, if you saw the game Saturday night, um, you know there were some questions about Georgia's ability to run the ball after its performance against Arkansas in Week One, and you know you sort of anticipated some of this, right? Uh, differences between teams between Week One and Week Two, and I'm not just talking about teams looking better in Week Two, but teams, some teams like one I'm sure we're going to talk about in Mississippi State appearing to take a step back. LSU, it was Vanderbilt, but LSU looked better. I thought A&M actually looked better in losing by 28 to Alabama than it did in winning by five over Vanderbilt. So it was one of those kind of weeks. But that was a sort of old school line of scrimmage game, which it could be similar to that here in Tuscaloosa in a couple Saturdays when the Georgia Bulldogs come to town. And Georgia was just better uh, at the point of attack. Uh, Stetson Bennett continues to be a – Pretty amazing story at the quarterback position for Georgia. And, um, you know, even with Chad Morris coming in there and joining Gus Malzahn uh, with that offense there at Auburn, just a couple of Anders Carlson field goals. That's not going to make the Auburn fans all that happy. By the way, Gus Malzahn now 0-7 on the road as head coach at Auburn against Georgia and Alabama. Yeah, some talk that we might have seen JT Daniels, the transfer from USC in this game, but Bennett took command, and it remains to be seen if he's the quarterback throughout the year, but for now, JT Daniels still kind of waiting in the wings, Travis. He is, you know, and Stetson Bennett's going to try to keep him over there. I don't know how long he can do it, but I'll say this, and you said the word. I thought Bennett, in terms of commanding that situation from the outset, uh, he was very impressive, and you know, Georgia loses a guy like Lawrence Cager at the wide receiver position, but you still have George Pickens there. A couple of other guys looking like they're going to step up. But I thought the real story of the game 
was Georgia's offensive line pretty much having its way with an Auburn defensive line that we know had a couple of major pieces to replace from a year ago. And then the Georgia defense, you know, we look around the Southeastern conference right now at some of these uh, quarterback performances, especially passing game performances. And we kind of ask, where's the defense? Well, there's a defense in Athens, Georgia. And I think right now, when you look ahead to the upcoming Saturday, Tennessee at Georgia, and Tennessee right now is a top four team in the SEC, in my opinion. Uh, and so that ought to be a, a great game. It has potential, at least, to be a really good football game over in Athens this Saturday. Yeah, I mistakenly thought Missouri was going to be a little more competitive with UT. They were not 35-12, to 12, the final score there. Tennessee uh, off to a 2-0 and start on the season. You mentioned Arkansas-Mississippi State. What about Sam Pittman, Travis, uh, getting uh, the first win in the league for the Razorbacks, I believe in their last 20 uh, is what I heard. Since 2017, put it that way. A long time. Long time. Yeah, it's been a long time. And it wasn't a long time for Mississippi State fans to champion the Pirate, Mike Leach, after that upset at LSU. And look, you know, this is kind of the way it goes with Mike Leach. Mike Leach will will have some, some great wins, I'm sure, and it'll be a lot of fun and He'll say some quirky, nutty things at the press conference every once in a while, and everybody will get a kick out of it. But uh, this is part of what you get with Mike Leach, too. Uh, There are going to be wins that are uh, of the head-scratching variety, like the one against LSU, and then there are going to be losses from time to time, like the one we saw against Arkansas. Pretty interesting with Felipe Franks. For the second time in three years, he quarterbacked a team to a win in Starkville. It was Florida in 2018. Mm. Comes back with Arkansas on Saturday night and gets the job done with the Razorbacks. Ole Miss 42-41 over Kentucky in overtime. A blown PAT uh, having a a factor there. And, uh, of course, uh, uh, Kentucky had a a little early celebration going into the end zone that didn't turn out so well. Ended up getting (laughs) dragged down from behind and then uh, fumbling on the goal line. That's uh, one Kentucky probably could have, one of them could have, should have for Kentucky, Travis. No doubt about it. And, you know, when you're in a conference exclusive schedule, that's one you got to win at home if you're Kentucky. And so it adds some juice, though, to this Alabama Ole Miss game coming up on Saturday evening over at Vaught Hemingway. Uh, Lane and that offense, like talked about earlier, Matt Corral. Some of those same matchups that we'll get into later in the week in advance of this Alabama Ole Miss game, when you talk about dynamic sort of hybrid players at the running back and wide receiver positions, talk about a tight end that can be a problem. Ole Miss now has one of those in the form of a grad transfer from Temple. Uh, A quarterback playing with a lot of confidence right now in Matt Corral. That's a huge win for Lane Kiffin and the Rebels. And lastly, Florida knocking off South Carolina 38-24. to I got a pretty good look at this game early. Probably saw about two, two-and-a-half quarters of it. Kyle Trask, impressive for sure, 21 out of 29, four touchdown passes. And uh, the aforementioned Kyle Pitts, his outstanding tight end, Travis, uh, two more touchdown catches for him. Uh, the Tony kid that, that you mentioned, I like his toughness. He doesn't go Mm -hmm. down easy. He doesn't run out of bounds. Uh, He's not the biggest guy in the world, 
but he's going to fight for every yard he can get. It doesn't matter if he's in the middle of the field or on the sideline. I like his game. Yeah, they've got some playmakers. You know, they lost a couple of three receivers to the NFL after last season, but they've uh, they've, they've backfield Grimes, some of those guys, Tony. They've backfield pretty nicely. As I talked about earlier, they've got options at the running back position, but as much as anything, I think finally, and it seems like almost a mirror image of what has been going on at Florida State uh, over on the panhandle, offensive line play over a couple of different coaching staff tenures was a real problem at Florida. And I've been as impressed by their guys up front uh, early on as, as anything else. But, you know, that's a team right now that I think like some other teams around the league defensively still trying to get some things sorted out because South Carolina, even late in that game, you know, had an opportunity to make it a touchdown game there late, wasn't able to get in, but uh, offensively, Trask and that and that group looks very good. Thanks for joining us on the Sunday Nighter here on the Talking Tide podcast. Join us midweek as we preview Alabama's forthcoming game against the Ole Miss Rebels. For Travis Ryer of BamaOnline.com and Southern Fried Sports Radio, I'm Chase Goodbread of NFL.com and Crimson Cover Television. We will talk to you next time.